The Mariners' week that was on 710 took a big left turn a few hours ago, and that certainly is good news. What do you know? We got a little something extra this week. Shannon Dreyer here bringing you everything Mariners you might have missed on the station this week and the first move of the offseason to talk about as well. We'll get into that in just a few. A different week, short because of the holiday, but all sorts of Mariners on the airwaves this week, Monday through Wednesday. In addition to some of the conversations with the host, we're going to hear from Logan Gilbert, Ty France, and Chris Flexen, who all took time out of their schedules to visit with us. We also have John Morosi in his weekly visit with Wyman and Bob, and he gets into the market for Marcus Simeon, among other topics. Because of the holiday, we did not have the Jerry DePoto show this week. But with the move Saturday morning, Jerry did talk with the media, and I'm going to include that audio as well. Good stuff to get to there as the Mariners add Adam Frazier. A move that, from what DePoto was saying, should open the doors to more. All of that coming up. Right now, let's take it back to Monday when Jake and Stacy caught up with Logan Gilbert. You know who we're really excited to see this year is Logan Gilbert. He joins us now on the Emerald Queen Casino Sportsbook Hotline. Hey, Logan, what's up? Hey, guys. Thanks for having me on. Of course. We're really, really excited to talk to you. Speaking of, how excited are you just to get this upcoming season underway, given how you guys finished last year? I'm so excited. Yeah, especially with how we ended. Uh, We had a great season, and it was such a long season and finally came to an end, but I felt like a lot of us are already ready to get back out there and start the next one. You know, Logan, one of the things that just was so fascinating to me watching you through the season was the fact that it wasn't just you getting that experience. It was also the fact that you were tweaking some things and trying to get better and trying to work on the shape of your pitches and trying to make your delivery the same. How challenging was that, trying to do all of that crunched into one, and how excited are you to, you know, really build off of that this offseason? Right. Yeah. Um, like you said, it was difficult and challenging. And I think just a major league season by itself is going to be challenging enough and trying to adjust on the fly and all those things in the first year that um, you don't really know what to expect going into it and try to just figure it out along the way. And now that I have a little downtime and a chance to take a breath, I'll try to continue to work on those things here in the off season and get it as refined as possible. And hopefully next year, I'll have a little better idea of what to expect and just take it all into next year and go from there. What else are you working on in the off season? I mean, there's one thing, you know, you talked about kind of mentality and, and kind of how to approach the game. Anything with uh, the pitch arsenal? I mean, anything you're working on in particular? Um, nothing crazy right now. I think um, just the consistency of everything, especially the off-speed pitches. Um, not trying to do anything too crazy, really, except just um, making all my pitches work together and blend together. Um trying to make it harder for the hitters to tell what pitch is coming if everything comes out like a fastball. So that's kind of where I'm at right now. Well, Logan, you have already gotten off to a pretty serious offseason here with some big moves being made, one being that you proposed. Uh, Congratulations. Walk us us through that. I mean, that's a big moment, man. Thank you so much. Yeah, we're so excited about it. Um, my fiance Avalie was working in Michigan, and I went up there to visit her. Um, and you know, I, I really wasn't too nervous leading up to it the whole day. I thought, uh, you know, now that I pitched in front of big stadiums, big crowds, all that <laughs> stuff, I I kind of got it down. And um, then I, I actually pulled out the ring and this thing was happening and then everything hit me all at once and got nervous and all that so I was trying to remember what I planned to say as best as I could I don't even remember honestly but 
Uh, Thankfully, she said yes, and everything worked out. So we're really excited about that. Well, congratulations to the two of you. I love the idea that, like, look, I can I can face the Yankees lineup, no problem. But man, getting on one knee, my I was sweating. (laughs) Yeah, heart was beating. Yeah, (laughs) I didn't know what to expect. I thought it'd be easier, but um, turns out I was still nervous. But uh, like I said, she said yes, so that's all that matters. Jake, I imagine you were also pretty nervous. That's got to be a nerve wracking moment. Well, for me, I don't know about you, Logan, but uh, like when you get to that point, it, it was just like kind of shaking as you're you, as you're getting down on the knee, and then you know, don't drop you know, the ring, to, don't drop the ring. Yeah, trying to fumble through the words, but Logan, as you went through that, uh, did, did you set it up with, hey, is this like sentimental to you know our story and us, or was it just you know, hey, I'm gonna take her to uh, a, a great place, a great location? You know, what was kind of the thought process behind the proposal there? Uh, yeah, so she she grew up going to this island she was working on, so it was really special to her, that location. And I wanted to go up there and see her and propose before she came back to Florida. So um, her parents also got proposed or got engaged very close to where I proposed wow. on that island. So uh, there's a lot of sentimental value to not only her but her entire family. So um, I, th- I think it was the right spot to do it. Nice. Well done. Well done. I uh, I applaud that. That's awesome, man. We're we're super excited for you. Congratulations to you both. Um, so now, as as you head into this next you know aspect of the season here, Logan, what is what is everybody's mindset that you can feel from? You know, have you talked to a lot of the guys? Uh, you know, so far this off season. Um, I, I haven't heard much, honestly. Um, I, I keep up with Jared a little bit, especially being roommates there. Um, like we were last season and um you know what everybody's just so excited honestly i think we saw a glimpse of it last year especially with where we finished and how we ended the season and um you know people are, start, are starting to notice that i think we have what it takes and we're right on the edge of the playoffs and i think it's only going to get better in the years to come especially with some more of the big guys coming up from the minors um so I'm really excited about the future and think we have a really good shot to do this thing. What do you think of, uh, I'm assuming either you read Mitch Hanniger's article in the Players' Tribune or you've just heard him as a leader in that clubhouse talk about it, but what do you make of a leader on your team kind of having that kind of uh, a message, basically saying, hey, watch out, MLB, like we're hungry and we're ready to make a run? Yeah, yeah, I did. I got a chance to read it, and that's just who Mitch is and who he's been um, – as long as I've been around him, from what I can tell, um, yeah, he's he's just a leader. That's who he is. Um, he's the kind of guy you want on your team and you want to follow, honestly. So um, I think he hit the nail on the head. It was perfect, everything he said. And I think that's the attitude that a lot of us have in the locker room. So it's going to be exciting to go into next season and, and really fight for this thing and make a run. You know, you kind of took the, the words out of my mouth. I was going to ask if, if, if you share that same mentality of, like, what your mentality is as far as looking around the rest of – MLB and kind of thinking, you know, we're ready to do this. Yeah, absolutely. I think for me, um, just a little different because I didn't know a lot of what it's like in the MLB. So I had to experience it this first season to, to see. And um, of course, there's so many good teams out there and so many good players. But now that I have a little bit of experience, I can kind of look around and then look at our clubhouse and say, you you know, exactly what Mitch said is right. We We do have the pieces. We do have the um, the team that it seems like it takes to get to the playoffs and win a lot of games in the playoffs. So I'm right there with him. I agree with everything he said. 
Uh, so now, I mean, Logan, as you guys, you mentioned some of the younger guys that are that have the uh, opportunity to come up. You know, is there any teammates that you have had, you know, down in the minor leagues that you're just like, I cannot wait to be teammates with this guy again at the big league level? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, the first guy is Julio. That's the first guy that comes to mind when you say that. Um, he's just an awesome guy. I mean, exactly what you guys see and hear in interviews and all that kind of stuff. That's who he is as a person. Uh, he gets everybody excited around him, the kind of guy you want to play with, and he hypes you up and uh, you can tell that he believes in you, all that kind of stuff. So uh, he's obviously amazing as a baseball player, but I'd say an even better teammate. Um, so really excited for him to join the team this year. I was going to say, is there any warning, right? Like, Logan, you got to help us out here. Is there anyone that's going to be really <laughs> sarcastic, give us a hard time, where you're like, that guy's hilarious. He will not make it easy on you. Uh, I don't know. Um, every, everybody's uh, – <laughs> pretty right. good when it comes to that so I, I don't think there's too many characters or anything like that um I, I was roommates with emerson in spring training and once once he opens up he's he's uh he's pretty funny he's got a little attitude in a good way like a funny way right. um so <laughs> yeah we'll i, I think mind. emerson's got a little personality we'll be on the lookout there yeah <laughs> well, Logan, thanks so much, man. I mean, you know, this this is this has been really fun, and, and we are so excited to see you back on the mound again. Um, you know, it, it has been really fun to watch you, you know, grow and develop over this year, and really excited to see what you can do here in year two, um, you know, putting everything together. I mean, you know, Logan, one of the things that I was curious about is that as you went on, what was your – what was the feeling like for you going from – you know, hey, maybe your first couple starts to what you felt like by the end of the season. Uh, yeah, the season was it was kind of crazy. You know, a lot of ups and downs. And uh, once I got past the, the first few starts, I felt like I, I started to settle in a little bit and um, see myself have success. And then that leads to you just believing in yourself even more, believing in your pitches even more. Um, and then had another rough stretch later in the, in the year, but then kind of got past that and then finished pretty strong so I think it's just seeing that um you know I already I was confident believing my stuff but when you start to see yourself have a little bit of success then you it starts to build on top of that so uh, I think it's nice just to have that experience all, all the experience the good and the bad and kind of take that and build from it into next year all right, Logan. Well, best of luck to you guys this year, and, and we're excited to hopefully get another chance to talk to you uh, a bit later this off season. Uh, but until then, uh, c- again, congratulations on your engagement. That's that's awesome news, man. Yeah, thank you so much. It's great talking to you guys. An eventful off season already for Logan, who was so fun to watch this season. The thing that really jumped out at me, and I think you can hear it in that interview, he's really not overwhelmed by any situation. There's a lot of confidence there. He seems to believe he is going to get to where he wants to be, understands the process, really doesn't force anything. You know, in short, he's kind of allowed for all that comes with being a rookie. You know, where we saw Jared Kelnick really press when he first came up, Gilbert had a different approach. And I think we saw big steps taken forward as he learned more about what he does at the major league level. I think we eventually saw that with Kelnick as well, especially in September. He seemed to be so much more in control of his game at the plate and what was going to happen for better or for worse in different situations. He acknowledged he wasn't going to win every battle and I think settled down quite a bit. Perhaps his roommate Logan was a good influence. I think I'll go ahead and tuck that away for a spring training question. 
Moving right along on Jake and Stacy. If you've been following along, Jake in particular, well, let's just say he really needs to see a move. Are you upset, worried, disappointed, or completely fine with the fact that the Mariners have not made a move in free agency? Oh, I'm completely fine. Okay, I'm completely fine about it. But let me preface that with my anxiety is through the roof. I just I don't know how in general about the no 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 about (laughs) the Mariners. I just don't want to see see them have an opportunity pass them by, and particularly when it comes to Marcus Simeon, because there was that report out there from from Jeff Passan that said, "Look, the two, you know, superstar players that I'm hearing that want to sign or that could potentially sign before the you know CBA or before the lockout before the lockout starts is Marcus Simeon and, and Corey Seager, and Marcus Simeon obviously is number one target." For the for the Mariners here, and so I am uh, waiting on pins and needles to to hear that conversation really start to fire up and and to get heated. So far, that has not happened. But when you start to see these other moves, it's not the it's not the moves, it's not the individuals that are signing elsewhere that I'm looking at and going, how are the Mariners passing that up? Mm-hmm. What are they doing? It, it's just more of that consistent, yeah, the restlessness and going, okay, are they going to make a move? Are they going to get left, you know, standing there? Are are they going to be the only ones on the on the block after everybody else, um, you know, leaves? I mean, I I just I don't want them to be in that position because obviously this offseason is so incredibly important, and you want to see them make a statement. You want to see them make a statement before this lockout. And Stacey, reason why is yeah, it gives us incredible content, and it, it, and it gets, um, the it reason gets, why number one. Me, my <laughs> selfishness job becomes easier. Yeah, well, and number two, no doubt. But it the also, team could use it. it. The team could use it. And when it comes to the recruiting pitch, and when it comes to making a statement around Major League Baseball, and who are the Mariners, and what are they trying to be, and who are they becoming? Man, that makes a huge statement. And when you're talking about recruiting pitches to other, you know, top Major League free agents, when you look at that and say, "Yeah, no, we're serious. It's not just talk for us. This is who we got." I mean, I have to imagine that that speaks to something. From uh, Joe Doyle at Joe Doyle MILB the other day, uh, he said, and I've, I've seen conflicting reports about the Dodgers in this one who may not, I don't know. But at this point, this is the list of teams he has linked at some point to Marcus Simeon. Yankees, Rangers, Dodgers, Giants, Blue Jays, White Sox, Cubs, Tigers, Astros, and Mariners. He says it's an immense market. Cool. Obviously, a third of the league. Cool, cool, cool. So, well, I think that that's a, why the nerves are a, there, right? In it, a bidding we, war, yeah. I don't think it's like an uh, all. It's not quite an all your eggs in one basket situation for Simeon, but it does become close to that when you say we're not moving JP from short. Right. Absolutely. It definitely narrows down the list for you. There's, there's no doubt about that. And you know, when it comes down to Marcus Simeon and the idea of overpaying or the idea of having to extend past. A a deal that you would initially walk into the room and feel comfortable with. Well, guess what, Mariners, you're going to have to be the one that steps up. So if the deals are all very similar across the board, the only way that Marcus Simeon is going to pick the Seattle Mariners is if they go out and add the extra year or they go out and add the extra money on top of that. And are you going to be mad at that, DJ? Are you going to be mad at that, Stacy? You going to be mad at that if they go out and add additional? Yeah. No. Yeah. No. Do you just say get the deal done no matter what? Oh, man, it's not my money. <laughs> um 
But let's say let's yeah. not even talk about money because I think we all would feel comfortable about the money. What about years? He's thirty-one years old. I think it's weird that I man, I think it is. I can't tell if it's completely acceptable. Like, I'd be interested to ask, like, Jason Churchill, like, is it weird for a 31-year-old to just fully expect he'll get a seven-year deal? I mean... I don't think Jerry DePoto would want to give a seven-year deal. But he might have to. Does he walk away But the thing is, who is he competing years? with? How many other teams are offering Simeon a seven-year deal? Versus just either more money or whatever. I mean, it all, it all comes down to those different things, and, and I'll be curious to know uh, when it's all said and done what, what that ask price is going to be. But obviously, from from being comfortable, I would love it for be to be a five year deal, six years max. But I don't think that's what this is going to be. To me, the length of the contract doesn't matter because Depoto has shown that he's been able to get out of long contracts. Like, I, how did he get Jared Kelnick and Justin Dunn? He got out of the Cano contract with five years left on it. The length of the contract does like if their window ends and Simeon is still here for three more years, he's regressed. Like I don't, I'm not worried about Depoto being able to get out of contract and be able to get some sort of future prospects for that. Okay. So to me, the length doesn't really matter unless it's ten years. But then don't like, for, eh. but don't forget he had to attach who to that deal. Yeah, he did have to attach Edwin Diaz. Exactly. Yes. So Who's not been great with the Mets. That that is true. So you're 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 100 right on that. But you, in order to get offload a bad deal, you're going to have to get rid of a star player or a star piece. And if you're rolling and if you got a bunch of star players and that's hopefully the plan, then that's okay. That's fine. And so, DJ, to your point, uh, Stacey, to your point, when you initially talked about money, you talk about years, that's where I'm at. Just get the deal done. I don't really care. Like, I don't care if you look at it and everybody else is saying, ooh, I don't know, that's a bad deal for the Mariners. I really don't care because the impact years that Marcus Simeon still has left are going to be key years for the Seattle Mariners in this process of turning themselves into a winner, and hopefully winning begets more winning. Yeah, I, just, I wish that you had a more sure uh, picture of what your youngest pieces would look like. Because no matter what you do in free agency, you're not going to get enough in free agency to make a deep push into the playoffs if you don't also have returns on the guys you already have. Is JP going to be as good this year as he was with just getting on base? Right? Mm-hmm. Is, is Mitch Hanniger going to hit 30-plus home runs? 35 plus home runs is Jared Kelnick going to keep growing month over month. Like all of those things have to matter too. Yeah, they do. And, and I wish, I just it, wish we had a better it, picture. It's all got to develop, but you can't, you can't, you don't know that picture right now. Right. Yeah. I mean, when you're going for it, you're, you're going based off of what you saw last year and the uptick in a lot of these guys and you're seeing their arrow point upward and, and uh, knowing that you got Julio Rodriguez coming up as well, who looks like, you know, again, a Wander Franco type of uh, of prospect, a guy like Vladimir Guerrero, a guy like uh, Juan Soto, guys that you know have played those minor leagues and have absolutely crushed it. I mean, that's Julio Rodriguez's numbers right now. It's different than what Jared Kelnick's was, and that's not to say that Jared Kelnick won't be a great player. But the arrow is pointing up for the Mariners, and you have to be willing to take on these chances. And I would say that because you've limited the market in regards to you know shortstop. I mean, it, you you have put yourself in a very you know precarious situation if Marcus Simeon does slip through your fingers. Tuesday, a new day and a new guest. Ty France took time out of wedding planning to visit with Mike Salk. Good morning, Ty. How are we doing today? I'm good. I'm good. How are you doing? I'm good. How's the offseason going for you? It's been good. It's been busy. Um, I'm getting married this offseason, so finishing up the wedding planning and then uh, January 
getting married. So it's been congratulations. Been a busy ride so far. Big deal. Congratulations. Where are we getting married? Give us give me some details here. Thank you. Uh, we're getting married in Pacific Palisades in California. Um, both of our families are from LA area, so central location down by the beach and. I'm definitely looking forward to it. I like it. Yeah, you're from what West Covina, right? I was. I thought. I kind of thought of you as a San Diego guy, I guess, because you went to college down there. But you're from West Covina. Yeah, yeah. I'm more. Uh, I grew up in West Covina, and then, uh, like you said, I went to college in San Diego. San Diego. So you go to you go down to San Diego. You're a 34th round pick of the Padres. How do you get them to notice you as a 34th round pick? Um, to be honest, once I was drafted, I didn't really look at it like that. As just you know go out and play my game and you know hopefully that speaks for itself and um you know i have to, I have to give them a lot of credit they, they treated me like you know every other player um if you perform they they promoted you if you didn't they you know left you at the level you were at so um you know give a lot of credit to them they, they treated me really well and what do they tell you off the bat just hey you gotta hit if you hit you're gonna you're gonna move up uh honestly they didn't they don't really tell you much um they Kind of just want you to go out and be yourself, and um, you know that that's that's what I did. You start off your your minor league career in Tri Cities, right? Not that far from here, uh, Tri Cities, Washington. How how far did you feel from the big leagues on that first day when you show up there? Pretty far. Um, you know, you you walk into the short season, all of the short season uh, you know, stadiums were not you know very nice. Most college places were nicer than them. But, um, you know, the, the fans in Tri-Cities were awesome, um, which was really cool. That was the first time I really played in front of fans like that. Um, and so that, that gave it a sense of like, okay, you know, you're in pro ball now. Um, but, yeah, it's, you, when you start thinking about it, you know, you're what, five, six levels away from the big leagues. It seems like it's going to take forever. And then, you know. Four years later, there you are at Petco Park. So yeah, it, it was crazy. Was there a moment along the way where you had a thought like, "Hey, I could do this. Like, I'm good enough. I can make the big leagues." Um, yeah, you kind of have to carry that like little bit of swagger, confidence with you the whole way. Um, but it started to get more real once you get to like Double AA, A, Triple A. That's when you're like, "All right, you know, I'm knocking on the door here. This this could, this could happen." Pretty cool. Talking to Ty France, uh, obviously a great year this year for the Mariners. Is there a moment from this past season that you will remember the most? Um, to be honest, that whole like last week of the season when we played the A's and the Angels, um, that was a crazy homestand. Um, you know, to be able to see um, T-Mobile packed with forty thousand plus, and then uh, you know, giving Kyle Seager his send off, that was that was just pretty special. It sure seemed like a special group. We talked to Paul Seawald a couple of weeks ago and, and just listening to him talk about the way this group came together and the amount of fun that you guys had. It must have been just a, a different experience for you. Yeah. Um, you know, coming into the season, um, I think there was very low pressure on us because, you know, we weren't expected to do much this year. Um, so we kind of just tried to make the best of it and um, you know, it, like like you kind of mentioned, it turned into a fun group of guys having a good time out there and, you know, playing their best baseball and, um, you know, kind of shocked the world a little bit and, you know, had a lot of fun with it. Yeah, talk to me a little bit about J.P. Crawford and his role in that. I mean, he just – he's such an energizing-looking person and, and just had a couple of experiences watching him this year from the stands and seeing – you know, I – was close by one day. I saw him pop up to start an inning, and he just—I heard him go down into the tunnel, and you could hear some of the frustration. 
And then it ended up being an inning where you guys rallied and saw him like immediately pop right back up. First guy out there to congratulate whoever it was that came up with the the run scoring hit just a minute later. That that ability to kind of be selfless and think about the team seems so special on a on a team like what you have this year. Yeah, no doubt. Um, you know, when I first came over here, I, I knew JP a little bit, but um, I, I always thought he was more like quiet, reserved to himself. Um, and it's almost the exact opposite. Um, he's all about the team. And, um, you know, he's definitely a spark plug for this, this group we have. Um, you know, he's, he's our leadoff hitter. You know, we, we go and he goes. Um, and kind of like you said, to be able to, you know, get upset for a moment and then just flush it and, you know, care about your team. That's, that's what you want to see in a leader. And, um, you know, it just shows he cares. Um, you know, one, he wants to help as much as he can. That's why he gets frustrated when he doesn't. But um, to be able to just throw that away and go pull for the boys, um, you know, he's he's a special player um, on on and off the field. He's he's a good dude off the field, and um, you know, I'm, I'm glad I'm on his side now. Yeah, no kidding. Uh, I've heard you say, I think it was even on this station. I've heard you say that you like just talking to guys over at first base when they show up over there, whether Scott likes you to or not. What what are you guys talking? I mean, what 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 is it? Because you don't strike me as necessarily the most talkative guy. It's just a just a friendliness thing. What it, what is it out there? Yeah, it usually just starts with a like, "Hey, what's up, man?" and um, kind of get a read on if they're a talkative person or, or not, and if they are, um, you know, you, you meet a lot of guys in this game, and um, me personally, I like to hear guys' stories, um, you know, just where they're from, stuff like that, and um, you know, you end up you end up making a lot of friends in this game. Um, which is you know a, a unique opportunity, um, especially being over at first base. You know, guys get to first a lot, so um, you get the chance to chop it up with them. And um, you know, I, I, I like to have fun with it. How many how many ball players are coming to this wedding here in a couple of weeks? Um, it's 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 more of a uh, family wedding. We're not, we didn't do too many. Uh, I think we have like five, maybe. Okay. So yeah. you guys, you we for- both have big both have big families, okay. so. It'll be more more family. Who's the funniest guy you've met over there at first base as you're as you're chatting with everybody? Uh, to be honest, Jared Walsh. He's he's a character. Um, he he the talk a lot a lot more than I do. Um, <laughs> but he's funny. Okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah. He's he's a good one. Um, to be honest, I haven't met like one bad dude. Um, you know, there there are a handful of guys that like you know they have to take the game really serious and lock in, which I can completely understand. And um, you know, I. I leave those guys alone, but for the most part, everyone likes to you know, talk. I mean, you wouldn't tell me if there was a bad guy, though, right? I mean, that's like an immediate fight that you've got to deal with next year if you say that all of a sudden that's bulletin board material. I mean, if they were a super, super bad guy, I wouldn't mind airing them out. But, um, <laughs> I, I haven't, I haven't met one person where I'm like, dang, this guy sucks. Why baseball for you? What, what, what got you into baseball above other sports? How'd you choose? Um, I played baseball. I want to say since I was like two years old, um, just fell in love with it when I was a kid. Uh, growing up, I was I was bigger than most kids, so I, I did fall in love with football. Um, I, I played football two years of high school, um, and you know ended up picking baseball, which I'm very thankful I did. Um, I walked on campus at San Diego State and saw the size of our football players, so. I was like, dang, these guys are massive. These guys are huge. I can only imagine what Clemson or Alabama looks like. So very thankful I, I chose the baseball route. 
What about uh, this upcoming year, 2022, big year for you? What what can you hope to accomplish this year? What can you improve on from last year? What are your goals? Um, just consistency. Um, you know, I'm trying to basically repeat what I did last year. I felt like I had a really good year last year. And, um, you know, if I can knock out that 10-day 10 10-day 10 IL window um, and just play 162 healthy, that's, that's one of my main goals. And, um, you know, kind of try and be a spark spark plug for this team. How about Jerry? Jerry DePoto's got a huge offseason ahead of him here, and, and, you know, we've read Mitch Hanniger's piece and sort of the idea of kind of pushing the team to take that next step, acquire the next couple of pieces. If Jerry comes to you tomorrow and says, hey, any advice? What what should I be doing this offseason? What would you tell Jerry? Uh, I'm, I'm pretty sure he's got that under control, but, um, you know, I, he they they – make it sound like they're going to go out and spend big this off season, which, you know, I think is needed and, um, you know, go grab a couple big time players, a couple of veteran guys. And, um, you know, we're going to be in a good spot. Um, you know, we're not really missing too, too much. Um, you know, our, our, our bullpen's phenomenal. You know, majority of our lineup is really good. Our starters. So we just need a couple of key pieces and, um, you know, it'll, it should be a good year for us next year. Is there a personality type maybe that fits specifically on this team? Is there a type of personality he should be out there looking for? Uh, not really. No. I mean, there's, there's tons of different personalities in that locker room and, um, you know, we all mesh pretty well. So, um, you know, I, I think, uh, whoever they decide to go out and grab, um, will be a good fit. What if he came to you and said, hey, I could use your help. Uh, there's a free agent out there. I think you know him, and maybe you could go talk to him for me and help sell him on, on what we're building in Seattle. What would be your sales pitch right now on on what kind of a team you guys have going? Uh, I think, you know, we uh, last season what we did kind of spoke for itself. Um, you know, we didn't have any, like, you know, wow players, and we won 90 games. So if we can get that wow player – um, or a player or two, um, you know, who, who, who knows how far we'll be able to go. And, um, you know, we're, we're an up and coming group. It's, it's a lot of fun over here. We have a good time and, um, you know, one, one, one to two key pieces could help us. I love it. Ty, really appreciate it. Congratulations on just a great year. It was a really, it's a lot of fun watching you guys in general and you specifically. Congratulations on the season. Congratulations on the upcoming wedding. And we'll uh, we'll look forward to spring training. Sounds good. Thank you. I appreciate it. I think France may have coined a new term in that interview. Wow players. Absolutely love that. Ty France looking for one or two wow players to join them. Let's go ahead and jump to a podcast that just so happens to be my podcast. This week on Talking Mariners, Boy Howdy and I filled up an hour without a move to talk about. I think we've turned over just about every stone in regards to free agent acquisitions, and we've had some trade discussion, but this week I took a new look at something the Mariners could do. I think Oakland, great trade partner there. And then, then, this is one that I really wonder about and something that we've really kind of overlooked. One of the hottest commodities on the trade market a year ago, and we're not hearing much about it right now, is the major league ready player or the major league ready or the major leaguer with lots of control left. And the Mariners have got two that I think are immensely tradable and perhaps in a package deal have significant value. And the first is we don't know where they're playing Luis Torrens. 
We liked what he did as a DH last year. If there's a universal DH next year and we find that out after the CBA, that could help quite a bit. That catching market is terrible. It is. It's really thin. There are guys getting contracts that probably shouldn't be on Major League rosters, but there's just nobody left. I mean, the fact that Manny Pena got a two-year, $8 million deal, that's traditionally, until recently, that's like a a, a back-of-the-roster guy. That's real money for a guy who is like sometimes home runs and an average catcher. I don't know. Yeah, I think you're right. I think, I think there could be the right value guy. there, and quite honestly, I was surprised that he wasn't traded last offseason. I mm. thought that there would be value there. Uh, he hurt himself defensively, but... That was the first year that he really stumbled defensively. So who knows? With this yeah. market the way it is and with what he's now doing with the bat, perhaps that is attractive. The other, you know, when they traded for Abraham Toro, the assumption at the time was they're flipping him right away. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to take Jerry DePoto at his word on this, but he said he got numerous calls. And I've actually heard this from others, too, right after they made that deal about Abraham Toro. Is he attractive in that regard? You know, you need that team that needs to cut costs but needs to be competitive right now, and both of those players could be attractive there. You probably also, if you're in this situation, going to have to get into trading one of your relievers. I totally agree with you on that. It's a huge strength of not only the team but the organization, and bullpens can be fickle, and there's no guarantee that next year's bullpen operates close to or the same as last year's bullpen. So I am right there with you. I think they're going to leverage some of their young bullpen arms to potentially bring back something that could be equally valuable in the other in another aspect of the team. Yes. And these are players, you know, Oakland obviously are, they're cutting. Why would they take on a, you know, somebody who's already a major leaguer and is coming up on arbitration? Well, they can trade them then. They can flip those players as well. So that's one. Miami Marlins need catching. They've got some extra pitching right now. Put something together there. I just don't know how much the industry will respect Luis Torrens as a catcher, and they'll look at him more as a slightly above-average hitter who can play a position and how much value there will be. But being involved in a package... Right. Yeah. Right. And then you're you're throwing in some prospects there, too. Right. Make no mistake about that. But not top 10 type prospects, I think, at that point, and certainly not multiple but I think that is something that's worth it. We haven't really talked much about what else can you trade if you have to make these trades. I think it's a great point. And the other thing we haven't talked about is the traditional Jerry DePoto trade. It's not been on anybody's Getting radar. an ex-Mariner? Somebody who's already <laughs> traded away? Trading a major league guy. Come on and down, mi- Pablo Lopez. <laughs> yeah, flipping a major league guy and a minor league guy for a major league guy and a minor league guy. Diversifying your assets. Mm-hmm. Can something be done like that with your bullpen? Can something be centered around a Taylor Trammell type and a Drew Steckenrider type and bring back a starting pitcher or position player that you think is above average, a solid contributor that's not going to cost you too much money on the books and really be somebody who's here for three or four more years? I think that's a a real strong possibility. I think it's a creative way that the Mariners can trade from depth and get something back that fills a huge hole. And you're doing something like that. However, you're not getting that big impact. You're getting something to hold a spot down. You're getting something to be probably closer to replacement than what we're talking about if you're doing a bigger deal. for somebody. Yeah, a one to two war player. You're not talking about right. a four to six war player in that. Right. But a one to two war player that plays 140 games is valuable for this team. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> and then, of course, the big one, which 
DePoto acknowledged that he is open to, but also said it's a lot harder to do than people want to think is taking on that extra contract. I'm very interested in that as a way to potentially get a star player without having to give up a major, major prospect. I mean, yes, it is complicated. The Mariners did it on the flip side when they gave Cano away. How do you... Do you see that being a realistic possibility for them this offseason? Well, he himself, and he said, you know, and he was right when he said it. It's, it's so easy to sit down and just map these things out, but neither team really wants to make that deal. Right. Yeah, there's you're taking on something and giving something that you don't want to do. Both sides. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, you know, I, I think that that, but then you also will have clubs that, and again, this is where your collective bargaining agreement, which you're not going to see this deal until afterwards, because if there is a payroll floor, those deals are going to be a lot tougher to come by. Absolutely, because there's going to be teams who need to bring those players on just to hit the floor. Yeah, I totally agree with you on that. So the landscape right now is certainly not playing in their favor. We don't know what's going to happen there, which kind of, I think, uh, you know, is a good reason why they're focused on what they are focused right now, and that's the big fish. That was from the Talking Mariners podcast, which can be found on the 710sports.com podcast page on the Hot Stove League page. Back to the airwaves we go. Wyman and Bob's weekly segment with MLB Network's John Morosi, who, among other topics, hit on what he believes it will take in terms of an offer from the Mariners to have a shot at landing Marcus Simeon. As we approach that deadline for baseball, hopefully the work stoppage, if it happens, will be short and sweet. But who would know better than that than our buddy, our pal, the one who's joining us right now, John Morosi, our NHL and MLB analyst. Hello, John. Happy Thanksgiving, my friends. Uh, yeah. Great to be on the air with you today. It's it's always great to be with you. We're gonna we're gonna let bygones be bygones about the voting Thank and you. move on. <laughs> Thank you. I, I I thought so. I I thought that uh, based on the way that last week's conversation went, that you were gonna bring me back on with. Uh, with across the field or Carmen, Ohio, or all all matter of Ohio State songs uh, as we get ready for Michigan, Ohio State here in Ann Arbor on Saturday. Yeah, you know it's funny. Uh, right after we were on, I saw Godfather too, and I, I heard the music playing. And then you know how that that one did not end well for that one does Fredo, not end Fredo. well. Yes, there was yes there was a uh, being a proud Italian American. There there were any number of routes I could have taken when I heard that song yeah. and that reference. I yeah. chose none of them. None I simply, I simply stayed with baseball and just proceeded to defend my entirely justifiable manager of the year ballot. And again, whenever, whenever I, uh, I think the rest of my life, I'm going to at, at some point in time reference that uh, dead last of the top three. That was just such a gem. I, I, I'm never, I'm never going to forget that line. I, I said like, like of, uh, and I'll, I'll reference it with with Michigan. So let, let's say by some miracle Michigan wins on Saturday and then wins the Big Ten championship and then is ranked fourth in the college football playoff. And as Ann Arbor <laughs> erupts in joy, I'll say, no, 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 no. We're dead last of the top four. <laughs> That's exactly We're dead right. last of the top four. <laughs> that, Never that forget. That's awesome. All right. And before we get into it, because we had some, uh, some disagreement, and this is a very passionate topic, but what is the most important dish in the Thanksgiving dinner? Oh. I mean, this most is, important this is how I'm wording it. Most important. What, Wouldn't the, that be the turkey? Well, uh, so... Traditionally, uh, you've now asked me a question that's very easily a, sort of an essay answer from me, but mm-hmm. I'll say it this way. Traditionally, yes, it's it's turkey in most American Thanksgivings. But, but having grown up in a, uh, a Polish-Italian family, as I referenced my Italian heritage earlier, uh, my, my 
my father's mom, first-generation Polish-American. And so we always had kielbasa as part of our Thanksgiving mm. with, with importantly, schan. Schan is like a a, and you can look it up. I I, I, I spell so it. I can, well, so there we go. So so well, if you don't spell it, you eat it. Yeah yeah exactly. But I exactly. can't look it up. Schan. Uh, let, let me see here. It's Polish. It is like Polish horseradish. Let, let me make sure I get the correct spelling here because I don't. Uh, Let's see here. Khan. <laughs> I, I, I'll, I'll figure it out by the time this segment is done. I like that you I will, keep repeating it, though, as if it's going to come Shkan. to you. <laughs> Khan. It's really Shkan. good. But it's but you have to have – oh, well, let's see here. It's on uh, – see, see, this is – see, Google translated something else that's not exact, exactly correct. So, But I'll get back to you. At least – that was what my grandmother always called it was Khan. The, the, uh, I'll tell you, like, the quickest Morosi travel story ever. Two years ago, I'm in Warsaw, and my, my, my grandmother had always – we would always say yak shamash, which is a way of saying hello. But we always said it in our family. And I don't know Polish well enough to know if that's what you're supposed to say when you're actually in Poland. So I, she didn't tell me that, you know, John, son, you only use that among the family. If you say yak shamash, it's like saying to your friend, like buddy, very informal in a family, yak shamash. Mm. So I'm in a restaurant in Warsaw with my cousins who were to still live over there a couple of years ago. And I say to the waitress, and my cousins look at me like, what are you doing? You can't say that to her. You just met her. It should be Yakshapani Ma if you're going to do it properly. They were like, everybody was totally flabbergasted and, and like taken aback, almost offended. I'm like, guys, I'm just doing what grandma always told me to do. And on days like Thanksgiving, my late grandmother always said, Jan, Janusz, so I gotta, I have to find exactly how you spell that because I, I have to get this right on the air. Well, somebody is tweet, texting in. I don't. Maybe they're guessing, but they C H R Z A N. Yeah, I think that sounds about right. Yep. Oh, okay. There you go. Schan. There you go. The four two five. Nice okay, job well, by them. I had an easy answer, and it's just gravy. I mean, to me, yeah, gravy, it is. It's, gravy's it's the most important. Yes, C H R Z A N. There okay. you go. So it is great. And, okay, nice yeah. job for two. There you go. According to the spruceeats dot com, it's the 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 sentence begins Khan made from horseradish root and vinegar. There it is, C H R Z A N. We all know something but new now. Can you say gravy's the most important dish? It's not really. Gravy a dish. Is You're really, not eating it by itself. It's, it's not the most dish. important element. Gravy is Element. crucial. Okay. But but obviously, as we're talking about this, you could either take the classic American gravy or combine the horseradish root and vinegar, and then you get shan, which is <laughs> which I would say superior to the, the standard gravy. <laughs> Who needs that? Uh, shan. All right. Now, Morosi, stop saying shan. shan. Right, there you go. There you go. With such <laughs> emphasis and such passion. I love it. I love his enunciation. Everything, oh, yeah. like when you say Berrios. 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 Yeah. Got it. Hey, well, speaking of baseball, let me let me transition to this because we saw a very – I'm wondering if we're going to see this more often. We saw this massive deal for Wander Franco. Yes. A massive deal for a guy that's played, what do he play, 70 games, 70 right. major league games. Half a season. 20 years old. He was by far and away their top prospect. He was the top prospect in all baseball. Am I Correct on that? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Number so, one, unquestionably. A deal that uh, a 12-year contract that guarantees him, and in, in, this is the part I wanted to ask you about. It says, this is the ESPN story, around $185 million, The deal is worth a maximum 
of 223. What is that? I'm assuming that's an option if a, correct. a team there's option a, or a player option correct. gets picked there's, up. There's a team option with some conditions on it for the 12th year. But when you think about that, 11 guaranteed years, team option for the 12th. And that's that's I, I'm, we're now well into the next decade. That's that's almost incomprehensible. The, the future of when when, when Ronda Franco's contract is over, what will the baseball world look like? Uh, it, it's really well, this will be a bargain, right? Well, exactly. And, and, and I, I do think. We all understand that a week from tonight, tomorrow, there's there's the deadline here coming up for, for MLB with respect to the CBA. And I do think if you've got a deal to work on, if you've got a player that you believe in, and you're not sure what the rules are going to be, if there is a work stoppage, hey, get it done now. And, and especially with Franco, I'll tell you this, being around him during the playoffs, uh, what a player. And and he, he wants to be great. Uh, I, I really enjoyed I had a couple conversations with him. Uh, curious. He reminds me, he, he has some some traits that are in common with the Juan Soto in terms of that that just incredible talent plus love for the game plus aptitude to get better. I mean, he, he was having some truly professional at-bats in huge moments at Fenway Park in the playoffs. That's, that's special. And so for me, uh, I, you do wonder – what do contracts look like if 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 a Kalnick becomes the player that the Mariners hope he's going to be? If a Julio Rodriguez becomes the player the Mariners hope he's going to be? It is interesting that there will be some conversations along these lines that would likely dwarf the contracts that were handed out to Evan White, for example. It's just a fundamentally different conversation when you're already at the major league level and performing, which is why, to me, Kalnick is just such an interesting guy to watch play here in, in 2022 and beyond. Hey, JP, if you are, you kind of touched on it, but if you're an agent with this deadline looming here, what, what would be your, what's your sense that you get? Do you think you could create some some uh, urgency and maybe get a little bit more money than you might later? Or what would be your advice to a player? Yeah, I, I do think, David, it's certainly a possibility. And we're already seeing it now with some uh, deals happening here. Steven Matz in the last 24 hours. Eduardo Rodriguez, his deal, uh, the extension for Berrios, others. I mean, there, there's a lot. Of, Noah Syndergaard, a one-year deal, obviously, for, for beyond what the QO was. I think especially among the pitchers, we are seeing movement. And John Gray, I had an agent tell me today he might be the next one to go. I, I do think Kevin Gossman, who the Mariners have been involved in, his name is out there. I, I would not surprise me at all if he signs in the next week. This is going to be you – know, it's so interesting, as you guys know – NFL free agency, NBA free agency, NHL free agency is quick. It happens fast because there's no salary cap for the most part uh, or, or because there is a salary cap there and we don't have one in baseball. And now I, I think we're almost dealing with a deadline that we rarely have and all of a sudden things are starting to move and it's pretty interesting to watch it unfold. So I, I do think that the deadline is is there and is spurring a lot of activity, especially on the pitching front. What I don't know is if any of the big Boris clients will sign, especially among the position players, uh, Seager, Semyon, uh, Chris Bryant. He's got three of the premier top five or six position players. I'm a little skeptical if any of those three are going to sign uh, before next week. What What do you see make of the numbers I've seen attached to Semyon, a guy that the Mariners are obviously interested in amongst other teams, and a lot of fans are interested in him coming here. He's a guy that's 31 years old. He's not. He's not. A, we're not talking a 26, 27 right. year old. He's thir- not that he's finished by any stretch, but a 31 year old. And I saw that that uh, Boris is expecting north of 200 million for him. Do you do you look at that and say, well, that makes sense, or is that 
pie in the sky for for a guy. That, I mean, obviously coming off a brilliant season, but sure. is that who he is moving forward? Or well, it, it's it seems like it's a bit of a risk for a guy that age. And you look at his history in the league; hasn't always been obviously what he produced last year. Right. He's a really interesting case because on the field, off the field, tremendous value. He can play an up-the-middle position uh, so he can be a shortstop. He proved he could play second base, which is obviously where the Mariners would want him. I look at him as being somewhat similar to George Springer. Springer, up-the-middle player, center field, goes to the Blue Jays, and his contract, about the same age that Marcus is right now, was 6 for 150. And so that means it's exactly at that $25 million a year range. I think that's what what Marcus is probably going to try to hit. And then the question becomes, can you go 25 times 7? That would get you to 175, which is obviously way more than the one-year deal he took to go to Toronto. So, I mean, I think that's – if he gets – I would have a hard time – if I was Marcus Simeon and somebody offered me seven years for for 175 – I would have a hard time saying that's way too low. I think ultimately, if you're at 7 and 175 for Semyon, I believe you're going to be part of the final conversation. If he gets 8, I would be a little surprised, not totally flabbergasted, but I, but I do think if you're at 7 years with him for a middle of the infield player, you almost never see middle of the diamond infielders giving you good value at the age of 37, 38. Uh, this is like Derek Jeter type later career Jeter years. Yeah. I, I, I think that for Semyon, if you go seven for 175, if you're comfortable at that level, I think you're going to be, if you don't get the player, you're going to be at least one of the finalists if, if you're at that level. JP, we have Chris Flexen on at 545 today. And nice. Just, yeah. And we're, we're, he, like Bob said, just by far the most solid. But as far as his performance there, I mean, I always worry about pitchers year to year. We talk about bullpen from year to year. Sometimes you have the same guys, but it gets worse. But what you saw out of Chris Flexen last year, do you think that this is him? This is, uh, this is sustainable. This is the, the pitcher that he is. I think it is because he's someone that that really doesn't walk a lot of guys. Obviously, he I think he's done a very good job of controlling his his, his strikeouts to walk ratio to get it to a very good spot. Um, he's someone that does to a degree because he doesn't strike out a ton of guys. He does depend on his defense to an extent, but the, he's lucky that the Mariners are a, a very good defensive club. So I think from that perspective, it, all of it is sustainable. Uh, what I'd be curious to to learn about from him, and I think it's important. You look at what he did pitching in Korea in 2020 for Doosan. He still pitched 116 innings there. And so he had something that was much closer to a full season than a lot of the MLB pitchers had in 2020 because Korea played longer. They began their year earlier uh, than we were able to here in the States. So I, I wonder with him getting to a career high in innings at 179 and two-thirds this year, uh, I'd be curious to know how he has sort of made sense of the varying roles here, where in 2019 he was mostly a triple-A starter, then he signs to go to Korea. The, the pandemic obviously affected everything. I would just be curious to hear from him what his offseason is like now and, and how he's responding to a career high in innings by a pretty good margin. He, he threw, look back to the minor leagues, I think the only other time he was over 100 innings was back in 2016 in, in St. Lucie. So career high in innings, what is it about the Mariners and the way they manage their, their workloads that made it work for him? And how does he make sure that going forward it's a similar level of success uh, coming off a career high in innings? I think it's, but, you, but you're right. In terms of the pitch making, I think he is someone that, it, that doesn't overwhelm you but has excellent command, moves the ball around really well, uh, that really 
really well-developed secondary stuff, breaking ball, change-up. I, I think he just had a tremendous year for the Mariners in 2021. You know, a guy that we just saw sign a three-year, $24 million deal was reliever Kendall Graveman, who yes. was obviously here with the Mariners, and he was lights out with the Mariners, uh, and nobody wanted to see him leave. But, Dave, you know, I was telling Dave, you know, and we've talked about this, bullpen is, is one of the most, you know, confounding things in baseball to me because all of the same guys can dominate one year. You bring back that same cast. And all of a sudden, everybody's lighting them up for whatever reason. It's just it's really inconsistent. So I'm I'm always sort of loath to to really invest in bullpen arms. Three for twenty three years, twenty four million. Yeah. I, I like Graveman. I would have loved if he would have come back to Seattle. I'm not mad that the Mariners weren't in on that. That seems extreme yeah. for a guy that he. That's not the pitcher who he was this year. John is not who he's been through his career. If you look at his numbers, so you're you're sort of betting that this is who he is moving forward at 31 years old. What do you think of that signing? No, it's a great call, and the White Sox are a, a sort of a unique team. I mean, they already have Hendricks there. The plan is to trade Kimbrel. You almost never see clubs over-leveraging late-inning relievers and, and having three of them on your roster at one time, much less maybe two, but it's, it's just it's a very rare approach uh, given where they're at right now. And I, I think that it, it really does affirm – as much criticism as the Mariners took when they traded Graveman, if you weren't going to afford him for the long term and you weren't going to bring him back and you felt like you had some internal guys that could have those roles, when you look at how well Sadler pitched, of course, and Steckenrider was able to close games and Seawald was as well, they were able to make it work. And I think that you have to give him some credit, uh, Jerry Depoto, some credit for making the deal when they did because all of a sudden Toro's a – pretty big part of the club in 2022 and beyond and gives them flexibility to pursue someone like Semyon and then swing Toro around to play third base. It's, it's a really, it's a good trade. And, and I think that this is where, and I love what MLB and the union did with respect to moving the tender deadline up a couple of days. So that way they can do some business before December 1st. What that means is that for the, for the arbitration eligible players, you have to tender them contracts by basically early next week to give everybody time to sign a contract before a potential work stoppage. And what that does is if you really trust your your pro scouts, and that, that's where guys like Steckenrider, Seawald, Sadler, they all came from other places. And, and the Mariners had to really get some good scouting information, good analytics, and make the right choices where they, they bought low on a bunch of stocks, so to speak, and then watched them grow and improve. And I think you have two choices. You either pay the, the going rate for Kendall Graveman, or you do a really good job on R&D and scouting to make sure that you make the right recommendations on guys like Steckenrider. And now you look at him, and he may well be the Mariners' closer in 2022. Good stuff from John Morosi and a good baseball talk day in general for Wyman and Bob as Chris Flexen joined them a little bit later in the show. Well, we're all wondering what the Mariners are going to do in the offseason, how they're going to make this team even better than they were last year. But uh, one of the things you feel really good about coming out of last season, and there are a lot of things, Dave, that you feel good about, but this guy, the guy we, pro- this guy. we probably knew the least about him in Paul Seawall. And they turned into two of the best additions to this team. And I've said, I said it all last season during the year that Chris Flexen was far and away the most consistent pitcher in that entire rotation from beginning to end. We knew the least about him to begin the year. And by the end of the year, we were thanking God for him. And he's with us on the Emerald Queen Casino Sportsbook Hotline. Chris, how are you, man? Good. How are you guys doing? We're we're doing great. Uh, have have you had a chance to kind of reflect on the season now? You're you know, obviously a, 
a few weeks removed to say the least and now you can kind of can you kind of take some pride and some joy in, in how things went for you yeah absolutely you know after a long season like that fun season as well but uh yeah you're able to uh kind of step back for a minute and really be able to reflect on uh, how the season really was. Hey, Chris, did explain kind of how it clicked for you. And, you know, we were watching in spring training and, you know, there was kind of some ups and downs and things like that. But for you, like Bob said, you're so unbelievably consistent. And uh, tell us what was what was different and could you actually feel it when you get into like a groove and a flow that you're, you know, you're just pitching really well? Yeah, you can definitely feel when you're in the flow moments. Um, you know, I had a handful of stretches that I thought I was in those. But on an overall basis, I think the biggest thing for me was, you know, true trust and true confidence. And, you know, the, the work that we did amongst each other uh, with teammates and stuff and as well as our pitching coaches, you know, the defense behind us, our catchers. I mean, everything goes into that. And, uh, you know, that's all something that as a collective uh, group, like, you know, that was one of the biggest things that helped me be consistent as well. But, uh, you know, still came down to, you know, changing that confident mindset. Hey, tell me about your individual confidence as it went through the season. I mean, from the beginning of the season, you come over from the, the Korean Baseball League again. You know, to, to most fans, unknown, we don't know what to expect. Is he, you know, is he going to be great? Is he going to be just a spot holder eating up innings, what have you? So so there wasn't the expectation, I guess, from a fan base from that perspective. But I'm just wondering how different your mindset was at the beginning versus the end of the season where it looked like you just went out there and expected I'm going to win and I'm going to dominate. Because that's, as fans, I can tell you, every time we saw, all right, what's the matchup today? Oh, Flexen? All right, I like our chances. That, it was just an expectation that you were going to go out there and at the, at the very least, even if you didn't have your A stuff, keep the team in the game. Yeah, I mean, I think that, like I said, that, come, that came down to the, the confidence thing. And, uh, you know, every day from the beginning to the end was trying to get better and how can I adjust, how can I be better, and, you know, continuing to put in the work day in and day out and trying to make every start. And, uh, you know, it really came down to really competing for the team. And that was my biggest mindset every time. On the stretch, it was really exciting. And uh, just tell us what it was like from the inside because – for Mariner fans, you know, what did you, was it 14? You, you had uh, 13 out of 14 or 12 out of 14 down the stretch. I mean, you guys were just as hot as can be, that streak you had. Uh, what was that like inside the clubhouse? Uh, it was awesome. You know, I, I felt like we had, uh, you know, pretty strong support throughout the throughout the whole year. Um, you know, but definitely down that stretch was, was a lot different, you know, to be able to have – you know, 40,000 plus fans in that stadium and the, the noise level that it brought for us. I mean, it was, it was really exciting. And, you know, we were, we were hungry to compete for that spot down the stretch. You know, I know we uh, fell a little short and left a bad taste in our mouth, but, uh, you know, we, uh, we, we, we loved that support and it made it a lot of fun to play behind those fans as well. Well, I can tell you, you re-energized a fan base out here. That's, you know, for good reason, been cynical and, and, and sort of, you know, oh, yeah, Mariners, I'm not counting on I mean, it's been two decades since the postseason. So people just kind of go into the season with the expectation of being disappointed. And that, that was so much fun for the fans to be excited to go home. Oh, Mariners are playing tonight. Couldn't wait to be in front of the TV. And there was you just gave people a reason to be optimistic and excited. Um, I, I'm curious, just from your physical perspective, you you know, we all talked about your weight loss and all of that. But just innings pitched. 
you, you threw 179 and two-thirds last year, which was obviously by far and away more than you'd ever thrown at this level. Um, I'm not sure what you did in the Korean Baseball League, but just if physically, how did you feel after after throwing that many innings, more than you ever had in your big league career? Yeah, I think uh, Korea, I had a two-month break in the middle of the season. I think I got up to about 145. So for me to get to uh, 179 was a huge milestone, you know, to be able to make all my starts and – Physically, down the stretch, uh, you know, longevity-wise, I was, of course, exhausted. But, you know, down the stretch, playing behind those fans with that much energy, you know, you really are able to dig deep and, you know, still continue to step on the gas. And, uh, you know, I feel like I still had uh, some stuff left in the tank and was was really ready for that little playoff push that we were going to hope to make. And, uh, you know, overall, I still felt pretty strong. Hey, going into a season as a pitcher, Chris, do you – uh, are there times where do you have pitches, certain pitches that develop and progress and get better or worse and that you kind of ditch or, or do you pretty much keep the same thing? Does that change? How much does that change as you go through a season, each individual pitch? Um, you're always trying to be as consistent as you can be. Uh, one of the biggest changes I've made into this year was kind of changing my slider into a cutter and, you know, our, um, our pitching coaches kind of helped me, uh, you know, figure out a, a, a good usage for my secondary pitches as well. And, um, you know, and then you're just trying to be cons- as consistent as you can with that. So, you know, for me going into this season, you know, I'll continue to keep the same arsenal, figure out how to be able to command those pitches better and, and continue to make them, uh, you know, as consistent as I can have them. So did you watch the playoffs in the World Series, or are you somebody that, hey, I can't watch it. We should be there. I'm not going to watch it. Or did you look, sit back and go, okay, this is what it's going to look like when we're in there next year? Yeah, I watched every game, but, uh, yeah, I, I threw them on at times. And, uh, you know, it's still, still a fan of baseball, and uh, it definitely is a bittersweet to be able to watch the playoffs with the intentions that we, you know, we had hoped that we were we were in that mix. But, uh you know, still watch, still was able to watch it as a fan, and uh, you know, watch the other guys compete. Chris, where do you uh, where do you make your off season home? Are you moving here to Seattle? What you been doing with your off season so far? Uh, I'm actually in Port St. Lucie, Florida. Um, I got some family out here that has moved out from California, and uh, for me, just kind of you know, the first few weeks was kind of relaxed, be able to reflect a little bit, get back into uh, you know, off season life a little bit, and. I think I took about two weeks off from the season and got right back in the gym and started training to get my body ready for uh, this coming year. And, you know, we got Thanksgiving coming up, so just trying to, you know, slow things down, enjoy some time with family because come December 1st is when, you know, things start kicking into gear a little more for me. And, you know, and then it's right around the corner for uh, spring training, and, you know, then we're ready to go. Is there, a, is there any specific pitch or specific mechanical thing you, you're looking to work on in the offseason? You go back, watch tape, and say, oh, man, I really want to work on my slider. I want to develop this pitch. Is there is there sort of a, a, a box you need to check in the offseason going into next year? Um, I think um, just coming in strong, healthy, ready to go is uh, one of the biggest things. Um, I don't think I there's any specific pitch that – you know, I need to reinvent or anything. And like I said before, it comes down to consistency. And for me, it, it comes down to location. So that's, you know, just getting armed and strong and in shape, ready to go and be able to fine tune that come spring training and, you know, make your adjustments from there as we go. All right. Before we let you go, Thanksgiving, what, what dish outside of Turkey, what do you look forward to most? 
Oh, I'm pretty boring with that. I'm actually just a big turkey, mashed potatoes, and probably some roasted broccoli for me. That's that's all I really stick to. Okay. No <laughs> gravy for you, Chris. <laughs> uh, not a big fan of gravy, actually. <laughs> wow. Now, yeah, now, I'm, I'm boring, boring and basic. <laughs> <laughs> now, are you a, are a portion control guy, or are you going to go multiple serving? Are you going to go back to the to the well a couple of times, or how does that work for you? Uh, this will probably be my splurge meal. So, yeah, I'll definitely have to go back to the well. But uh, <laughs> you know, I've, in, in the past, being a little overweight, you know, that was uh, one of my biggest struggles was that portion control. So I'll definitely try to monitor that. But, uh, you know, it's Thanksgiving. You're with family. It's time to celebrate a little bit. So I'll definitely be going back for seconds. There well, you go. <laughs> well, Chris, it's it's uh, good to talk to you again. We we obviously enjoyed talking to you during, during the season and, and more so watching you pitch. What a, what a tremendous year. So congrats on the year that you had. Uh, enjoy the off season. Happy Thanksgiving to you and happy holidays and can't wait to see you next season. Awesome. I appreciate you guys having me on. Thanks again so Thanks, much. Thanks, Chris. Happy Thanksgiving to you guys as well. I can't wait to see him back on the Hill next season. Truly one of the more underheralded signings of last off season. One last check-in with the shows. Jake and Stacy, before they signed off for the holiday, gave us a wish list. When we are back here on Monday, stuffed for meeting leftovers for like a yes. fourth day in a row, what are you hoping we will have seen? Oh, uh, what am I hoping we've seen? Okay, I'll start it off. Uh, Mariners actually make a move. That we are going to see Marcus Simeon. We're going to uh, signed maybe. We're going to see a trade of some kind. Maybe Kevin Gosman is signed. I don't know. But I want to see the Mariners make a move. They, I mean, what? We're approaching, it's seven days away from this thing getting shut down. And from free agency getting shut down until uh, the collective bargaining agreement is agreed upon in Major League Baseball. So you've got seven days to make something happen. I think there's going to be a big push, uh, you know, with with some of these players and some of these key names and stars, and and we'll see if the Mariners are a part of that. But I do think that over the weekend you could see some could see some action. Question: Will any move suffice? For instance, what if they just sign Tyler Anderson back? I'd be happy. Okay. Yeah, so you're let's, saying, let's, you know what, I just want to see some traction. I want to see some, yeah, I want to see some movement. I want to see something. something happen. Just give us something, right. please. Just just work at some of the plate. You know what I mean? It doesn't yes. have to be everything. You don't have to clear it. Just start working away at some of it. So the good news is Jake can finally exhale. Saturday morning, the news broke that Jerry DePoto had swung a deal for Padres second baseman Adam Frazier. An interesting trade for a player who's 30 years old, fills a position I think most are hoping would be filled by one of the marquee names on the market, and has just one year of club control remaining. All that said, he is very much a Jerry DePoto player. Control the zone, one of the best contact rates in baseball, positional flexibility, and as we would learn in the media session Saturday morning, a key puzzle piece that perhaps could lead to more before the lockout. I'll leave you with the audio from that session with Jerry DePoto. Jerry, how did this all come together? Uh, over time, you know, it, this this actually dates back to the mid-season last year. You know, and, uh, we we thought we were at the goal line to acquire Adam uh, at the trade deadline last year. Obviously, we missed out and. Uh, we stayed in touch with the Padres as we head into the off season, knowing that they had a pretty robust roster and, it, and we just liked the player. So we, we stuck with it and, you know, through the GM meetings in San Diego and until, you know, yesterday when we finally were able to, to agree on players and, 
and push it across and get into uh, medicals, which which led us to, to calling the players this morning and, and finishing it off. So a player who's been on our radar for, for quite some time. Jerry, this seems to be a guy that checks off a lot of boxes for the things that you guys like. Uh, controlling the zone doesn't strike out a lot. Uh, good bat to ball skills. Uh, maybe not a, a ton of uh, uh, hard hit average, but it just seems like this is a guy, maybe like JP in a sense, who just gets a ton of hits. Can you talk about him as an offensive player and what you really like about him? Yeah, I think Adam, to me, is one of the better strike zone managers in baseball. You know, the, the, he's got great contact skill. He, In an era where strikeouts are prevalent, he doesn't strike out. Uh, and his strikeout rates would, would be good in any era, really. It's a, he's, he uses the field. He makes contact. He draws about an average-ish walk rate. And, you know, the, that combination of events with uh, the ability to hit for a high average, which he's generally done as a major league player, results in significant on-base skills. And, you know, if you take Adams on base skills and you take, you know, Ty France's on base skills, we've talked about the, the, the consistent growth we've seen in JP and his ability to get on base. Uh, and, and you keep, you know, putting players out there uh, on, on, on the base paths. Toro is another who's got great bat to ball skill and does get on base. You know, that, that gives players like Mitch, like Jared Kelnick, the, the, the like Kyle Lewis, the, the ability to go clean it up. And, and the more traffic we can create, the better. Jerry, defensively, where does, where does he project? Do you, do you view him as a second baseman? going into the season or is he because of his versatility is he is he going to play around in a number of different spots uh it's a little bit of both of those you know I spoke with Adam this morning and you know asked him what his comfort level was and moving around the field and and his answer was perfect it's whatever the team needs me to do so uh we will view him as the roster stands today we're going to view him as our second baseman but we also believe uh, that there are a lot of opportunities to move them into left field and maximize the the handedness matchups uh, that we might be able to achieve. You know, there might be opportunity, for instance, you're facing tough righties, Abraham Toro can play second base and, and Adam Frazier can slide out to left field and now you've got both bats in the lineup. And uh, I will say one of the the real appealing parts of this is with guys like Ty France and Abraham Toro and now Adam Frazier, you know, Dylan Moore, the versatility that these guys have allows us to do so much in in creative lineup building and doesn't stop us from continuing to go out and search for, you know, that that kind of bat impact that we're trying to find in this market. Kind of interesting in that he has got one year left on his contract. Why was that a fit for you right now? Well, I wish he would add more, actually. I wish it was last summer and we had a year and a half (laughs) or the summer before and and it was two and a half. But, you know, the we just feel like he's a, a perfect fit for our lineup. You know, it's a we talked about going into this offseason with the hope of adding impact to the middle of our lineup and creating more length to our lineup. And, and I think Adam Frazier answers the length to the lineup riddle. It's a, he just makes us a better, more complete team. I I believe that he can hit at the top of the lineup. He can move, he can move the lineup from roughly any position. Uh, He can play second. He can touch third. He's played both left and right. And that just gives us so much flexibility with what we do with the other players 
you know, and frankly, as we sit here and, and work our way through the free agent market or the potential for trade, you know, we felt like adding Adam made us a deeper team without stopping us from doing anything else we would have wanted to do, which is, uh, you know, th- that's double the fun. We, we can continue to add to our team because Adam is so versatile. Jerry, I know you tried to acquire him at the trade deadline, but when did he really get on your scouts' radars? When did you really start to have an interest in him, a 30-year-old veteran? Uh, when did you guys really start to target this guy? Oh, probably 2016 or 17. <laughs> uh, honestly, it's a, he's one of those players. And these, you know, like when we talked this summer about Abraham Toro or like we've talked in the past about Ty France, we usually – Start with this type of skill set, we usually gravitate toward you know, the, this type of player pretty early in their careers. And, you know, when Adam graduated to the big leagues with the Pirates back in 16, it was pretty evident that he did the things that we really value. And, you know, these are players, you know, Adam Frazier is a... It, Played on an all-star team last year. He was a four-win player in an uh, F war. And I does he does the things that winning teams value. And, you know, as a result, when you swing around the 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 the, the TV, you're surfing the channels in, in the postseason, there's a lot of Adam Frazier's that are playing in the postseason. And, and for a reason. They 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 do all the little things. And and Adam really hits that. He's a smart player. He he has great acumen for the game. He has instincts. And, and you know, if you can line that up with the ability to play multiple positions uh, and excel at, at multiple positions, he's a very good defender at second base. And, and we feel like that gives us uh, that gives us a more complete roster than we had yesterday, which was the goal. And Jerry, I know that you talked about at the GM meetings, you're going to be business as usual, do what you do. Has it been, have you been able to do that given the market and what you're seeing, or is it different than you expected going into the CBA deadline? My, my thought on, on where we are at this stage in, in the off season is that this month has been a bit of a rush. It's been, it's been fun where the activity it with, in, in discussing trades with other teams uh, the interaction and meeting with with free agents, you know, I, we initially we had planned to to sit down with three or four. Uh, that number has doubled uh, in in short order. And with the you know, we were broken up by the holiday, but otherwise we've had at least one meeting uh, every day for for just about the last week, and and are set up to do the same, you know, headed into this week. So. Uh, there's, I, I love the pace right now. It's, it's been a blast. The, obviously the, the free agent pitching is moving at a, at a pretty quick clip. And, you know, that makes, you know, for, this is typically a time of year where you see a number of, uh, you know, the, the higher profile relievers coming off the board, but, you know, especially the, the last 10 days, it's been really fun to watch. You can't help but enjoy it as a baseball person or fan. You think the next four days are going to be even more chaotic? Uh, I wouldn't call it chaotic. It's just fun, <laughs> you know, and, and, you know, we're, 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 we're open ears and it's, we're going to continue to try to push and, and add players. And mostly that's because there, there seems to be a sense of urgency in the industry. And, and we want to make sure that we are uh, on that same wavelength. So the reason your number has doubled has been because there does appear to be more activity right now that they do want to get signed before the debt before something happens? Yeah, you know, and, and we had talked about that that's as the, I don't 
necessarily think we're viewing it as a deadline, but we had personally, the, the Mariners, we had talked about the idea of identifying how we were going to fill those, those, you know, the position player spots. And, you know, once we were able to, to connect with, and it appeared we were going to be able to acquire Adam Frazier, we were able to start to start, you know, spreading our wings in different places. Uh, because that that meant that was one player we weren't going to, going to have to go to the free agent market. So this was more of a fixed cost for us. You know, we we generally, while we don't have a specific number, we we generally know what Adam Frazier's uh, rate of pay is going to be, which allowed us to then go and 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 better assess you know how far our dollars could go in the free agent market. You know, which resulted in us reaching out and connecting with uh, the our top pitching targets. So, you know, that is more of what doubled our our uh, meeting sessions. So, you know, we've we've had a chance to get in front of a lot of different players, had a chance to visit with players and their wives, and you know, some live, some via Zoom, and and it's been uh, it's been really refreshing actually. After uh, after a positive season, we're getting very positive feedback. Has this progressed to the point where you have offers on the table? We do. Uh, we do have. Uh, we have. We have. You know, two uh, two offers on the table. One that that I would say is uh, notable. 